As we come to the study of God's word, let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to thank you for because of your goodness and grace towards us. We thank you that our health is good enough for us to be here today. We thank you for the freedom we enjoy that enables us to meet together here now. We thank you for the Bible, uh, that we have free access to it uh, in so many different uh, translations and even in study Bibles. We thank you for those who have written commentaries to help us to understand what you are saying to us in your word. We thank you for the minds you have given us so that we can listen, study and reflect on your truth. But we also need to acknowledge that we lack so much in this area of faithfulness, obedience and love. We confess that we have taken for granted uh, so much blessing, sometimes even thinking that we have earned or deserved such privileges and We say, please forgive us. We confess that we do not spend nearly enough time reading, studying and applying your word to how we live day by day. We ask that you please forgive us for our sins, not because we deserve that forgiveness, but because Jesus has paid the price for our sin, as we've just sung. Please help us to learn from your word now as we focus on that in this next part of our service. We ask that you give us the power we need to live by what we learn and also the courage to pass on what we learn to others. Please help us to grow in our understanding of who you are and put our faith in your faithfulness. We do not want just to grow in head knowledge alone, but to be changed on the inside so that what we learn will change us. We ask these things so that uh, we will see your name glorified in our lives. We come to you only in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, what do you think when you read the title of our message today? I think of John Newton. An amazing character, wasn't he? Started off as a slave trader uh, initially, uh, ended up being a slave of an African slave trader. Uh, Certainly got to the bottom of the barrel when it comes to uh, depravity and sinfulness. And yet he was born again. He became a slave rejoicing. His background, of course, kept him humble. We know what that's about, don't we? A slave rejoicing in the Lord is an amazing thing, isn't it? Are you a slave of sin or a slave of rejoicing in the Lord Jesus, a slave who rejoices in the Lord Jesus? Well, James chapter 1, verse 1, James says, identifies himself, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations. Greeting. The Greek word he uses there is for servant is the word doulos, Literally, it means a bond slave, just as it's rendered in the New American Standard Bible and the New King James Version and others. This type of Roman slave was a slave for life. They had no rights, no freedom, no possessions of their own. Their sole purpose in life was to serve their master. Webster's Dictionary gives us a definition of a slave. It says that a slave is a person held in servitude as a chattel of another. And secondly, one that is completely subservient to a dominating influence. Interesting definition, isn't it? A chattel is like a possession. It's an old word. You might not even be familiar with it, but it's like a a possession, something you own, uh, something like uh, maybe a pen or a watch or, in these days, your phone. It could even mean an animal or a car or a house. Notice the words completely subservient not partially submissive, not occasionally submissive or subservient, 
not just when I want to or when I feel like it. Who is the dominating influence in your life? Strong's Concordance gives us this definition of a slave. It says, one who gives himself up to another's will. Have you done that? Have you given yourself up to the will of the Lord Jesus? Most bond slaves were born as slaves and knew no other reality. But James willingly gave himself up to be Jesus' bond slave for the rest of his life. He was a volunteer bond slave. This is an Old Testament concept taken from the law whereby a temporary slave could give himself to his master for a life of service and not be set free in the year of Jubilee as normally happened. As an outward sign of this commitment, the slave would have their ear pierced. Not quite what we would consider to be ear piercing today. They would back you up to a pillar or a post and get what we would call now a hole punch and put your earlobe next to the wood and hit it with a hammer and cut a chunk out. So you've seen those big ear lobe things that they do these days? That's something similar to what would happen, which meant that you were a slave for life and everybody knew it. All they had to do was look at your ear and they could see that. So from that day on, they became the possession of their master for life. Are you one of those people who have ear piercings today? What's that say? Well, I don't think it's talking about what the Bible is talking about. Our culture is different. We live in a different age, don't we? But the issue is still the same. Are you a bond slave of Christ? Or are you a slave of your culture, your peer group, your favourite football team or entertainers? We wear T-shirts, don't we, to say who we are loyal to in that sense. Strong's Concordance goes on and gives us this further definition of a slave. It's one who is devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? To give up our own interests, to disregard them in order to be devoted to, of course, the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a challenge, particularly in today's culture, where we're taught to assert ourselves and demand our rights. This is what it means to become a Christian, to actually submit yourself to another. The word bond actually refers to the steel shackles that many slaves wore around their ankles and wrists to which chains were attached. This was to stop them escaping and often they were chained up overnight so they wouldn't run away. We sometimes see this kind of thing these days with dangerous prisoners. In fact, uh, recently when they recaptured that guy who cut off his ankle tracking device thing, remember? Uh, after he'd paid $4 million in bond. So he had so much money from his drug dealings that $4 million didn't mean anything to him. Well, when they recaptured him, after great expense, after what, 14, 16 days or something, you might have noticed on TV that he was handcuffed and shackled around and chains between them and chains between them up to his wrists. That's what it means to be a bond slave. That means you are shackled. There could be a hint there of eternal security. Think about that one. Gary Holloway, uh, in his commentary, says, to be a slave of God and of Christ is to do their bidding without fail. No greater title can be sought by the Christian than slave. So in this time of election when we're nominating people for deacons and elders and other roles, ministry group leaders, none of those titles really match up to the most important title for the believer, that is, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might notice that our members of parliament are called ministers. You know why that is the case? I'm sure you've guessed it. They're there actually to serve us, 
not their party or themselves. That's the concept also for a pastor, a minister, he's called. A pastor, the minister, he's one who was called to serve. And of course, Jesus said not to lord it over the brethren, but to serve. I'm sure we don't need to remind each other that doulos is also where we get our word deacon from. The word deacon is literally the word doulos, one who is called to serve. John MacArthur in his commentary says this, In spite of his prominence, what stands out in the first verse of his epistle is James's humility. Doulos, or bondservant, depicts a slave, a person deprived of all personal freedom and totally under the control of his master. It's an interesting designation. MacArthur goes on and says, Absolute obedience and loyalty to his master was required of every doulos, of every bond slave. Absolute loyalty and obedience. It's an amazing definition, isn't it? A person deprived of all personal freedom and totally under the control of his master. Absolute obedience and loyalty to his master. That's a challenge to each of us, isn't it? It's a standard we need to live up to. It's a standard we have difficulty living up to. Considering this definition of what it means to be a Christian, are you a Christian? The bond slaves spent a lot of their time on their knees before their master. They would kneel in his presence. How much time do you spend listening to your master and kneeling before him? The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed this form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's the reality in which we should be living. In this passage, Paul is telling us something like, I think most of us already suspected. (coughs) What we suspect is we're all slaves. So you might say, I don't want to be a slave of Jesus. Well, you're a slave anyway. So you need to choose who you're going to be a slave of, whether it is a slave to sin and Satan or to a slave to God and love and Christ. All of us were in the wrong kind of slavery, but now some of us have become slaves of righteousness by committing ourselves to Christ's service. Mark 10, 43 to 45, Jesus considered himself to be a slave as well. Not so with you after talking about the leaders lording it over those under them. He said, instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even though Jesus was God, the Son, he considered himself to be a bond slave to us, to you and to me. We should follow his example and his attitude, of course. James, Paul and Peter all refer to themselves as bond slaves or bond servants, we need to follow their example and have that same attitude and that same title, bond slave. The passage that Richard read to us earlier, John 13, verses 3 to 17, is that story that demonstrated Jesus' willingness to be a servant. Uh, it starts off, Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. 
he had the highest power, the highest authority, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew what his future was. He would be exalted to the highest position. Wash the disciples' outer garments, and uh, after he poured water into a basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Quite clear, isn't it, the teaching of Jesus? That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be working towards. But we slip out of that thinking, don't we? And uh, the world keeps reminding us about our rights. Do you see yourself as a bond slave? Have you given up your life to be Jesus' servant? Do you have the greatest title in the church? Is the leadership of our church here biblical? Are your deacons and elders and pastors slaves of the Lord Jesus? Are you a slave? You are a slave. The question is, whose slave are you? Where is your service, your servitude leading you, heaven or to hell? John 15.15, Jesus gives us this amazing verse. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Isn't this an amazing privilege? We are bond slaves, yet we are friends of the Lord Jesus. We see this in Roman history. There are many accounts of stories of Roman society, stories of treachery and deceit and even murder within families and certainly within society. Yet there are also accounts of masters who trusted their slaves with their very lives. They trusted their slave more than they would trust their own family members because of this tendency to get rid of people who might be in opposition or competition with you. This was because their slaves' very purpose for existence was to serve their master with absolute obedience and loyalty. That's the kind of attitude that we should have. Are you a slave of God? Is God your master? Are you submitting to God's authority? Are you following the example of Jesus in serving others? Are you trying to serve two masters? Can your master trust you to be absolutely obedient? Have you acknowledged that your very existence on earth is to serve God? Are you best friends with your heavenly master? James and all true believers, as well as Jesus himself, are all slaves, either to sin or God. James chose to be a bond slave of his older brother, the Lord Jesus. He gave up his life to be a slave for life in the service of Jesus. We're getting a phone call through somewhere. <laughs> no? Let's move on. We are commanded to rejoice. James in his uh, book then moves on and at the end of verse 1 he gives us a typical Greek form of greeting. He literally says, rejoice. That's what the word greeting there in Greek means. So while this is a, a normal common greeting used by almost every Roman citizen during this period of time, the Jews didn't normally use it. The Jewish greeting was normally shalom. Okay? Here James, who is a Jewish person, 
but he grew up in a Greek migration area and so he'd adopted this form of greeting. I think that uh, it'd be good for us to do the same thing. Uh, maybe that's what James thought. Of all uh, appropriate greetings for Christians to use, I think of all people, we have the most reason to be rejoicing. And it's probably a good way of reminding each other to do that. Rejoice or smile. Uh, have a positive outlook. This is one of the reasons why, as Christians, above all other religions, we are known for our singing. Because singing is a way of rejoicing that lifts us out of our situation, enables us to focus on eternity. I think it's a great way for Christians to greet each other. So why don't we do that in the days ahead? At the end of verse 1 comes verse 2 and James says more about this rejoicing. He says in verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of a faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. It's a big challenge, isn't it? Consider it pure joy. James is instructing us on the right way to respond to trials and trouble in life. The Greek word consider is actually an accounting term. It means to count or to calculate, to think in a certain way. It means to contemplate, to mentally weigh up or reflect on something. We need to reflect on our trials as opportunities for us to rejoice. James is saying that we need to seriously and deliberately consider that when we encounter trials, it's an opportunity to rejoice and be glad. (coughs) You've heard this before, haven't you? I've certainly heard it before and preached it before, but it's something we forget. It's something we need to remember. James is saying, I want you to think this way about trials, to have this attitude towards them. He is saying, don't just ignore your trials, don't just put up with them, carefully think about them, learn from them, and be prepared for them ahead of them actually happening to you. He talks about pure joy. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now that's a real challenge for us. Our normal response to trials and trouble is to grumble and complain. Does that apply to anybody here? (coughs) No, no. It certainly applies to me, uh, particularly when I'm driving and the lights change when I don't want them to or there's someone parked in the lane when you want to turn left. and Anyway, we, I could go on all day about my grumbling and complaining, <clears throat> but we shouldn't do that. James is commending us to change our response to one of rejoicing. It's a choice that we need to make. This is really counterintuitive. It's not our natural response. That's why he says calculate, think this way, change your thinking, re-educate yourself, retrain yourselves with the right way to respond. The expression pure joy means the greatest joy or wholly joyful. So it's not just a little bit of joy. (laughs) It's supposed to be the greatest joy. Why? Because every trial, whether individually or collectively, is seen as a reason for us to rejoice because it's an opportunity for us to grow. That is, the trials we face together and the trials we face on our own, uh, together as a church and on our own as individuals, is God's way of developing us and growing us. We are, as Philippians says, to rejoice in the Lord always. To rejoice in our trials is normally an emotional expression of pleasure, gladness and delight. That's hard sometimes. But sometimes we have to rejoice in our trials by faith 
because the feelings are just not there, at least not yet. So we rejoiced by faith. Even soldiers can have this inner peace uh, in the midst of the trials of battle. But outwardly they can be grieving, but inside they can have this calm and peace with deep joy and contentment. That's what we need to draw on as believers. Philippians 4 verse 7 and verse 11 and 13. And says this, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's an amazing passage, isn't it? Paul might have learned to be content in whatever his circumstances. Some of us would like to be learning to be content with plenty because we don't have too much. Matthew Henry says this, Philosophers may instruct men to be calm under troubles, but Christianity teaches them to be joyful. It's a big difference, isn't it? James does not expect us to be always thankful for the trial itself, but for its effect on our growth. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. James says the purpose of our trials is intended to make us stronger in our faith and to teach us patience. If you want to go stronger, then you need to be trusting God in your circumstances. We can rejoice because our trials will teach us perseverance and endurance make us more mature. Hebrews 12 verses 2 and 3 says let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy there's the key word, who for the joy set before him endured the cross there's the trial, the suffering scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. James is teaching us to do just what Jesus did. As true followers of Christ, we should also rejoice and look forward to heaven. As we think about what Jesus endured for us, we will be encouraged and not grow weary and lose heart. Notice James says, whenever you face trials. He doesn't say if you will face trials. You will face trials, I guarantee it. The Bible guarantees it. I'm sure you are facing trials in your life right now, every one of you. Some of them are big, some of them are not so bad, but there are trials in all our lives. James is saying, whenever you find yourself surrounded by various trials or temptations, sometimes it seems that we will be overwhelmed by the tests that come to us. We must quickly rejoice or the burden of those trials will become too heavy for us if we let them build up. Most of our trials come unexpectedly and we therefore need to be prepared in advance for the course of action we will take. It's a bit like driving a car. Some of you, a couple of you have recently got driver's licences. One of the things that the good instructor will tell you is to watch out for the unexpected. You need to be watching traffic, see what people are doing, cars drifting out of lanes. Usually we can cope with those things. It's the unexpected that causes the big accidents. And it's the same in the Christian life. We need to be prepared ahead of time 
We need to be learning to rejoice in the smaller battles so that we're prepared for the bigger ones. The Greek word that uh, James uses here, various, or in the King James, diverse trials, means various, different kinds. Trials come in many different shapes and sizes. We as believers should be encouraging each other as we go through different trials. Maybe God chose you to go through a certain trial so that you will be equipped to help other believers go through a similar test or trial. 1 Corinthians 10 verses 11 to 13 says this, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Maybe the way out is to learn to rejoice in your trials and deal with them as they come. It's probably one of the most important verses in the Bible or passages in the Bible about this subject. If you haven't memorised it, you need to because you're going to need it. The testing of a faith is intended to make you better, not make you bitter. It's important to remember that. If we do not respond to trials by rejoicing, we risk becoming bitter. The Liberty Study Bible says those Christians whom God can use the most are those whom God has bruised the most. And our trials do bruise us, don't they? They hurt us. When we go through trials, we often feel God is silent. And we do have trouble figuring out sometimes what we're supposed to be learning, but we should never interpret God's silence as God's absence. He is always with us. We had the promise in Matthew 18:20, "Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Conclusion: Do you pass this test of rejoicing in suffering? Are you persevering in your faith? Are you rejoicing in your trials, hardships and afflictions? Are you enduring or have you given up? Are you growing and maturing in your faith? If you have genuine faith, you will repent and get back on track and resume the battle. Are you a slave rejoicing? Let me lead you in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for James and the apostles who consider themselves to be bond slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they were just following the teaching and the example of our Lord Jesus. We surrender all that we have and all that we are to your sovereign service. We acknowledge that we belong to you and that we are your creation, that you have the right to rule our lives. We confess that we find it hard to view ourselves as servants who have no rights. We also find it hard to rejoice when things are not going the way that we want them to. Please forgive our brokenness as we and our will keep our minds the consequences of our rebellion against your law, we ask that we, like Jesus, will keep our minds focused on eternal issues and not be overcome with the trials that result from the fall. Please help us to encourage each other and stop complaining and grumbling and to focus on praising you instead. As we go forward into another week, help us in your good and perfect plan for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.